Turn your Bible to Hebrews 12. Will you say with me, I was glad when they said unto me, come on, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. You know, I think God's people ought to be glad when they say, let's go to church. We ought to enjoy it. We ought to want to be there. Hardly wait to get there because we know we're going to get blessed and we're going to hear Brother Jim lead us in singing. Isn't it good to have Brother Jim lead us? He's a blessing. We're so fortunate and to have this precious choir. And I want to thank all the choir members for singing up there. God bless you for that and for the wonderful solos and all the music. And I like the choir arrangement of loyalty to Christ tonight. I like that. And that's really the victory. So glad to have Brian Browning home with us tonight. He and Ruth are planning to be married pretty soon. Have we announced that openly yet? Well, we just now did. Was I supposed to do that or not? No. Well, I announced it. <laughs> God bless you. It's all right. All right. Well, that was a secret that I just let out. I'm sorry. God bless you. Maybe it wasn't a secret at all. Turn your Bible to Hebrews 12. We want to read responsively Hebrews 12. Now, if we'd had time to go through every chapter of this Bible, uh, I mean of the book of Hebrews in this opening meeting, open meeting, we would have read the whole book. So if you're reading through the Bible, be sure to mark in your readings those passages that you've read the entire chapters in. Go home and mark them that you've read them. Let's stand and read Hebrews chapter 12 responsively tonight. I'll read verse 1 and you read the next and so on. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. If ye be without chastisement, I'm sorry, if ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. And make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, and let it rather be healed. Lord. 
looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. And the sound of a trumpet, and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them any more. So terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. To the general assembly, the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escaped not who refused him that spoke in on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. And this word yet once more signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken as of things that are made that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. For our God is a consuming fire. May we pray. Our Father, we thank Thee for this passage of Scripture. We pray Thou wilt open it to our hearts. And may someone here tonight who needs the Lord Jesus come to know Christ. And may every one of us be taught and instructed by the Holy Spirit in the wonderful Word of God. In Christ's name, amen. Be seated, please. I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Now, we're speaking tonight on the theme from verse 22, but ye are come to Mount Zion. Ye are come to Mount Zion. It is a holy thing that has happened to those who are saved. It is a holy thing that has happened to those that are saved. There are two groups of people here tonight, those who are saved and those who are lost. And this this chapter addresses itself primarily to those that are saved, although there is a very serious warning and word to those who have never been saved. And so we're going to cover both tonight. But the theme of this chapter, ye are come to Mount Zion. So what? What does it mean that we're saved? What does it mean that we're God's children? What does it mean that we've been partakers of the new nature? There's a little word in chapter 12, verse 1, that's an exceedingly important word, and I wish you would underscore it, put a circle around it, make it mean something to you. It's the word, wherefore. It's just like the word, therefore. And every time you see that word, therefore, in the Word of God, you need to ask yourself, what is that therefore, therefore? What's it doing there? What does it mean? Chapter 12, verse 1, links 
everything that has been said in chapter 1 through 11 with this chapter. And it builds on that foundation. The Holy Spirit has been saying to the Jewish Christians through the writer of Hebrews, Jesus is better than Aaron. Jesus is better than Abel. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than the sacrificial system. Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than the tabernacle. Jesus is better than the temple. Jesus is better than anything you ever heard of, you ever had. How could you even think of turning back? And I think God, the Holy Spirit, would say the same thing to us tonight. Jesus is better. And on the basis of what has been said, not only in chapter 11, but chapters 1 through 11, Wherefore, wherefore, therefore, on the basis of this, on the foundation of this, he's going to say four things to us. First of all, in regard to our example, Jesus. Second, in regard to our discipline. Third, in regard to our refuge. And fourthly, in regard to a very serious warning. Now that's the outline of this chapter. And in chapter, one, chapter 12, verses one, two, and 1 and 2, Wherefore, on the basis of everything that's been said to us, we have come to Mount Zion and look at our example. He is impeccable. There is no other example in this earth that we could say he is impeccable. There's nothing ugly about him. There's nothing about him that we ought not to follow. One of our big problems in life is we follow sometimes the outward mannerisms of others who are our heroes, but we never get to understanding their heart. Here, we're told the heart of God. And we're, it is said, our example, our hero is the Lord Jesus. And several things are said about the Lord Jesus. At least, at least seven things. Notice. Wherefore, seeing we also are encompassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. And of course, the athletic picture here is that in training, a person puts weights on and he runs with all those weights on and he tries to outweigh them. He's had all those weights on and he can run on a big race. And then on the day of the race, he takes all the weights off and he can run like life. And that's the picture. Take all those weights off. Lay aside every weight. And... The sin which doth so easily beset you. And my beloved friends, every one of us in this room tonight has a sin or a weakness or an area of his life that's known to God and known to the devil, sometimes unknown to us. And as we get closer and closer to Jesus, that thing begins to magnify itself and we begin to see what it is. Sometimes we can't even see it until we get so close to Jesus that we see how out of fellowship and out of character it is with God. And when we find out what it is, let us lay aside that thing too. I do not know what it is in your life. You may not know what it is in your life, but make it your business to find out. And when you find out, it's nobody else's business. You don't have to go around gossiping and say, hey, you know what my sin is? You know what my weakness is? Here it is. You don't have to do that. All too often people know it anyway. But lots of times they don't know it. It's nobody else's business, just you and God. Get along with God. Get it before Him. Tell Him about it. And ask Him to correct it and to cleanse it and heal it 
And everyone has something a little bit different. And the writer is saying, lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset you. And he says, let us run with patience. That's consistency. The word patience there means consistency in the original language. The race that is set before us. Don't just be a, a, you know, somebody starts out and then he stops a little while and he starts out and stops a little while. He goes for a while and then he caves in and then he gets up and he goes for a little while longer and then he caves in. What kind of a, what, what coach would ever want somebody like that on his basketball team or football team or track team or anything else? Somebody runs for a while and then he just falls by the wayside and, and the deserts and then he comes back and gets going again. So the scripture says, put that aside, put all those things aside that would weight you down and run with patience, consistency, the race that is set before you. And then he says, look at our example. Look at our hero. Who is your hero? Who is your hero tonight? Who are the heroes of your life? This writer says our hero needs to be the Lord Jesus. And if you'll notice these seven things that are said about Jesus, all through Hebrews, you'll notice several statements about Jesus. In chapter 1, there were six statements. In chapter 2, there were ten statements. In chapter 3, there were five statements. In this chapter, there are seven statements. Look, looking into Jesus, the author of our faith. He's the first of it. He authored it. The finisher of our faith. He was the beginning. He's the end of it. You cannot be a Christian without knowing Jesus from start to end. You don't just start with Jesus and end with something else. You start with Jesus, continue with Jesus, and you end with Him. He is the author. He is the finisher of our faith. And for the joy that was set before Him, Jesus had anticipated joy. And you know what that joy was? You and me. You and I are the joy of Jesus. You think of that. Wives, sometimes you're the joy of your husband. Makes you want to look pretty. When he comes home in the evening, put on some pretty clothes and dress up pretty. And if you need to, paint up a little bit, do whatever's necessary, fix your hair and so on. Because you're the joy of your husband. Sometimes husbands are the joy of their wives and they take a shower every once in a while. Smell good, look good. Now Jesus, we're the joy of Jesus. You see, he is the groom and we're the bride. Where is joy? It needs to affect the way we look and the way we talk and the way we smell and what we do and everything about us. Who for the joy that was set before him. Notice. He endured the cross. Do you think the cross was a joy to Jesus? A thousand times no, he hated it. But for this cause came I forth. You and I have some times of a cross. And sometimes we say, well, I thought you're supposed to enjoy your cross. No, you're not necessarily supposed to enjoy it. You're supposed to take it up willingly, but not necessarily enjoy it. But remember how important it is. The Bible doesn't say Jesus enjoyed it. He said, for the joy that was set before him, and that's us. Our redemption, our cleansing, our forgiveness, our fellowship with him forever here in the earth and in heaven. Who for the joy that was set before us, before him endured the cross despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God that's our example Jesus Jesus is forever the example of a believer 
Now, folks, we need to be examples to one another. We need to live careful lives. But for somebody to say, I'm going to quit, I'm going to throw in the towel because somebody disappointed me. Somebody over here didn't live a godly life, or somebody over here told me a lie, or somebody misrepresented something, or somebody owes me some money, or, and they, they're a Christian, they won't pay me, and that's the way Christians are, I'm not going to have anything to do with it, and so on. I want to tell you, you got your eyes on the wrong fellow. This scripture says that our eyes are to be on Jesus. He is our example constantly, always, and forever. And if the whole world caves in, and if every Christian you ever knew goes out and commits wicked sin, that's no excuse for you. You and I are to keep our eyes on Jesus. And we're never to say, well, I'm just going to quit because somebody I had confidence in disappointed me. Now, we need to be careful about that. And you and I need to live exemplary lives. That's exceedingly important. But my friend, we can never blame our spiritual declension on another human being. We have to keep our eyes on Jesus always. He's our hero. He's the one I love. He's our example. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, Wherefore, on the basis of everything I've already said to you, you who are believers, look to Jesus. Just make a beeline to Jesus. Look to Him. Take your burdens to Him. Take your joys to Him. Talk to Him. Praise Him. When we come into the assembly of believers, isn't it good to just praise Jesus? Brother Jim's always leading us in these great hymns of praise. When morning gilds the sky, my heart in gladness cries, may Jesus Christ be praised. Praise Him, praise Him, uh, and so on. How great Thou art in all these wonderful songs of praise. We're to praise the Lord, and we're to look to Him. He's the one who is our hero. Now the second thing that is said, Wherefore, on the basis of everything I've said to you, and you keep your eyes on Jesus, I want to remind you that when you get your eyes off Jesus, there's some discipline going to come. And these next verses, from verses 3 to 17, tell all about the discipline. And he, he gives us eight suggestions. He says, for consider him, in verse 3. In verse 4, strive against sin. In verse 7, endure chastening. In verse 12, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Verse 13, make straight paths for your feet. Verse 14, follow peace. Follow holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Look diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up, trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Eight suggestions. And in this whole theme, there's this question. Are you disciplining yourself? Now notice what it says about Jesus. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. You think of those words. Here was the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And the sinners contradict, tried to contradict everything he said. And tried to, tried to manipulate all of his words so that they tried, to, they tried to make them mean something they weren't meaning at all. And they used all of his words against him. And they led him to the cross. Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against themselves and against him. And notice verse 4. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood striving against sin. Now connect that with the first part where he's saying, lay aside every sin and the weight that every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset you. He's saying. You find it hard to overcome sin? 
find it hard to overcome these old habits find it hard and difficult to get rid of some of these things this excess luggage out of your life here's how to do it do what Jesus did with it when the Lord went to Gethsemane you know the cross was settled at Gethsemane some of you who have been to the land of the Bible have been to that beautiful place at Gethsemane where we stood and we could look up there and see the eastern wall of Jerusalem and out beyond the dome that golden dome and, and over to the, to the right a little bit further Golgotha and then if you listen to the guide he would say come and walk with me I'll show you the rock where Jesus prayed I don't know whether that's the exact rock or not it's inside a church they built a big church building over it but there's a huge rock and they have it marked off I don't know whether it's the right place or not but but they say that's where the Lord prayed not my will but thine be done you remember he left the disciples out here and he went a little further and prayed and the Bible says he sweat as it were great drops of blood have you ever been that intense in your praying I examine my heart have I ever been that intense in my praying have I ever said Lord I want to strive against sin I want to strive against those old weights and those old things that would drag me down so intently that there came blood streaming out of my pores that's what Jesus did and what the writer is saying go to God in prayer with your sins go to God in prayer with those habits go to God in prayer ye have not yet resisted under the blood striving against sin if you want victory and overcoming power in your life there must be the discipline of prayer it's not easy to pray it's hard to pray that's not hard to say now I lay me down to sleep I pray the Lord my soul to take keep if I should die before I wake I pray the Lord my soul to take that isn't so hard it isn't so hard to write a little prayer down on a piece of paper and pin it up over your bed and jump in bed and cover the pillows all up and say Lord that's my sentiments that's not hard but when you start praying and you examine your heart and you pray out of your heart it's hard work you have not yet resisted under, under, under blood resisting against sin so it must be the discipline of prayer and then secondly uh, rather thirdly consider him then resist uh, get resist under blood striving against sin then thirdly endure chastening if ye endure chastening he says if you endure chastening God dealeth with you as with sons for what son is he whom the father chasteneth not but if ye be without chastisement where of all are partakers then are ye bastards and not sons and my friend I didn't tell you that God said it and what he's really saying is if you can sin and you can get by with it and it never bothers you God never sends anybody to you about it God never disciplines you about it God never bothers your mind so he forces you to the prayer closet then you may you ought to examine your salvation because you're probably not saved you're a bastard that means you're illegitimate you may act like you're in the kingdom you may be a member of the church but you're not headed for heaven because all God's children get chastened every son whom he receiveth receiveth chastening what son has not been chastened 
you find a boy or girl who grows up and has never had a spanking, never had any rebuke from mom or dad, never told any rules, never told what time to go to bed or get up, never told what to eat, to eat their spinach and all that kind of stuff. And you find a child that's grown up like a wild man or a wild woman. And they're going to have a tough time in life. Now this book says that if you as a, as a, as a church member say that you can sin in your heart, you may not tell anybody else this, but in your heart you can realize that you can sin and God never bothers you about it and nobody ever comes to you about it, then you better make a beeline to Calvary because according to what God says, you're not a child of God. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and he scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are you bastards and not sons. And friend, some of the chastening is harder than other chastening. And in some of our lives, that chastening hand seems harder than anybody else's and others. I want to hasten to say that we need to be very careful to remember that we're not judges. If I see someone pass through a particularly hard time, I don't think that God wants me to say, well, you see, look how God's disciplining this guy down here. Look, look, look what God's, he must have done terrible things. Look what God's doing to him. That isn't right at all. That isn't even what the scripture says. We're not to have the privilege of saying that somebody else's problems God's discipline upon them were to use the scripture on ourselves. We're to look into our own hearts and the winds come and the tempests come and the storms come and all the things that are, that are hardships and so on and they come. Get along with God and say, Lord, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me? And we need to endure that chastening. Some people, when they get chastened, just get bitter. Shake a fist in God's face. Say, I'm not going to serve God anymore. Look what God did to me. God let me down. I, I talked to a man not so long ago who told me that God let him down. God disappointed him. Well, that man doesn't have any idea about God. Probably not a Christian. He had some kind of emotional experience, but God never let anybody down. And this book says that God never lets you down. And when the chastening hand comes, we're not to say, God, what are you doing to me? Why are you doing this? I'm mad at you. We're saying, God, I don't understand it. But whatever you're trying to teach me, I want to learn. God deals four ways with a sinning Christian. Number one, he hurts his heart. If we will not listen to our heart, then God has to deal with us the next way. He sends somebody to us. And when somebody comes to you with a heart of love and concern, listen to them. Have an open heart. That's what God did to David. David sinned. He thought nobody knew. And God said, uh, Brother Nathan, I want you to go visit the king. And Nathan came to visit the king and told him that, that story, that allegory. And then he put his finger in the king's face and he said, Thou art the man. And you know what David did? 
He got furious and, and got mad and called all the henchmen and said, take this preacher out and kill him. He didn't say that. No, he didn't do that. He got down on his face before God. He said, Lord, against thee and thee only have I sinned. That's how God got through to David. That was his disciplining hand. If we will not listen to our heart, if we will not listen to the person that God sends to us, then thirdly, God has to have some, God begins to let the winds of affliction come and hard times. Maybe not financial, maybe just in your heart, in your mind, maybe in your home, maybe in your body, health problems, I don't know. All kinds of things can happen in this over, over a long period of time. God trying to get your attention. And he deals with you. If you won't listen, God will have to put you on a shelf. He may not be able to use you. You may lose that intensity of interest and concern that once you had. It's not there anymore. And you wonder, where in the world is it? And fourthly, if you will not listen to any of that and God deals with you all over a period of time, you won't listen to any of that, then God has to kill you. Has to have an early funeral in 1 John 5, 16. There's a sin unto death a brother can commit, a Christian can commit. And he says, I do not say that you should pray for that one who has sinned a sin unto death. There comes a time when God has to have an early funeral and just get rid of a person. Now, again, please remember that we're to use this and look into our own lives. We're not to judge other people by these scriptures, but to look into our own lives. I've told you this story a lot of times, but I won't tell it again tonight. Years ago, there was a couple in this county that lived a godly life. They taught Sunday school. They served the Lord. They were faithful. And then uh, they bought a grocery. And everything went fine for a while. And then they started keeping the grocery open on Sunday. Brother Houchins tells this story. And uh, the pastor went by and urged them to close their business on Sunday and come to church. And they said, well, you know, preacher, we've got we to make a dollar. We've just got to make the money. We can't do that. Preacher urged them. Oh, for preacher, you don't understand. We've got to make money. You don't understand. Pretty soon beer came back legal. And they put beer in their store. The preacher went by again and said, I, I want to warn you. God, you're a godly couple. You've taught Sunday school. You've handled the Word of God. You've won people to Jesus. Something has happened in your spiritual life. I want to urge you to close this place on Sunday. Get rid of your beer. Oh, but preacher, we've got to make the money. We've got to make the money. We just have to make the money. We, we just have to do it. One day, their son and another boy went out here on Barren River. And they were boating. And the boat capsized. They were both good swimmers. Both those boys died in Barren River. And the news came to the mother. And late in the night, the mother got on the telephone, called the preacher and said, Preacher, come quick, come quick. My boy is dead. My boy is dead. And the preacher went. And that woman, almost out of her mind, said, Oh, I've sent my boy to hell. 
I've sent my boy to hell. He said, she said, oh preacher, I remember when I used to tell others how to be saved. I remember when I used to teach in Sunday school, but preacher, we got out of church and we've gotten into this business and, and now my boy, I've never told him how to be saved and he died today and he's gone to hell. Oh, I've sent my boy to hell. I sent my boy to hell. They went to the funeral out of the cemetery. That lady wanted the casket open and she tried to get in and lift her boy out of the casket and out of the grave, out of her mind. Six months went by. And that former Sunday school teacher took a revolver and destroyed herself. Now I want to tell you, you can't sin against God and get by with it. Chastisement comes. The terrible chastisement of God comes. And if we will open our hearts and listen, when somebody comes to us, then God won't have to deal with us more harshly. It's a very serious scripture. If ye endure chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are, if you do not have chastisement, then are you bastards and not sons. But you're to endure the chastening hand of God when it comes. And on and on. He goes in this passage. Now I want to show you our refuge. Our refuge, look in beginning in verse 18. For you are not come unto the mount that might be touched and that burned with fire, nor into blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of the trumpet and the voice of the words which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure that which was commanded and if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it should be stoned or thrust through with the dark. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. The writer of Hebrews is saying, you're not come to that. That's what they came to under the old covenant. That's what the old covenant was all about. And, they, and it, was filled, it struck fear in their hearts. They couldn't even touch the mountain. But he said, you have come to Jesus, Mount Zion. Everybody in this room tonight who is saved, you've come to Mount Zion. You come to the heavenly Jerusalem. You come to something better. An innumerable company of angels, the general assembly of the church, God the judge of all, the spirits of just made made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, to the blood of sprinkling. That's where you are. And I'm going to tell you that's shouting grounds. That's just shouting grounds. You haven't come to that Old Testament law where those that disobeyed Moses' law died under two or three, the witness of two or three people and they got stoned to death. But he says, you who are Christians, you who are God's people, you who have been saved, you who have come to Jesus, you come to Mount Zion. It's different. You're not, your life is not ordered by a set of rules anymore. Your life is ordered by Jesus who wrote his law on your heart. And he whispers inside of you. He tells you what to do and which way to go and what to do. And then closing this chapter, he says there's a very severe warning. And it's twofold. Verse 25, see that you refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spoke on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. 
but now he hath promised saying yet once more I shake not the earth only but also heaven and this word yet once more signifying the removing of those things that are shaken as of the things which are made that those things which cannot be shaken may remain wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved now notice the first warning is don't refuse him if you're here tonight and you're not saved don't refuse Jesus don't refuse him well, listen to him open your heart to him and if you are saved don't refuse his word to your heart don't reject it don't hold it out and say well it's just not that's not for me yes it is for you just don't refuse him open your heart and let him speak to you let him have his way with you and after a while you'll find his way was best for you listen to him don't refuse him last of all he says, let us have grace whereby we may serve God. Now this last passage dealing with the warning reminds first of all lost people don't refuse God. There isn't any other way. If you refuse Jesus, there's no other way of forgiveness. If you are saved, don't refuse him. Don't refuse to listen to his warning, to his word. Listen to what he's saying to you. And then he says, let us have grace to serve him and I want to ask you tonight are you saved and are you serving are you serving him we can come to church and sing and listen to a little bit of preaching and and then have some fellowship and go home and it won't make any difference no dents in our lives no strokes it won't make any difference in the way we live we can do that or we can come and say by the grace of God, I'm going to trust Jesus and I'm going to serve him and love him and live for him until he takes me home. Oh, Jesus, I have promised to love thee and serve thee to the end. If you've made a covenant like that with the Lord, don't break that covenant. If you've made a covenant with Jesus to go on serving him, then go on serving him. Don't say no when God says go. And that really is what the writer of Hebrews is trying to say to all those people, all that he's writing to. He's saying, if you've come, remember who you've come to. You've come to Mount Zion. You're not come to the old law anymore. You're come under a new covenant. And you've come to Mount Zion. And you've come to Jesus. And Jesus is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Now serve him. Live for him. What does he want you to do? There's some in this room tonight that God wants to call into full-time Christian service. He wants you to be his servant. He wants you to be his preacher or his missionary. God has his hand on you. What does he want you to do? Remember to whom you have come. You've not come to somebody that you can say yes or no to. You've come to the one person before whom you'll stand in all eternity. And the writer of Hebrews says, let us find grace to serve him and go on with God. There's some in this place tonight that God wants you to enroll in service in this church and start serving God in this church. Moving your membership here, following the Lord in believer's baptism, getting going for God, finding your place of service, putting your tithes in God's place of business here at this church, and uh, teaching a Sunday school class, being a bus captain, going out as a soul winner, serving God as an usher, Serving God in some place of work in his business. See that you go on and serve him. And not draw back, not shirk your work. But go on with him. 
That's the message. Wherefore, on the basis of everything that's been said, look to Jesus. Remember the discipline. Flee to the refuge, Jesus. And remember the warning. If you do not go on with God, there's a serious, tragic result. And I want to talk about that third Wednesday night in the calls of Jesus. May we bow together in prayer. Our Father, we thank Thee for this wonderful Word of God. We pray that the Holy Spirit will make it real to every heart. And may somebody here tonight come and take a stand for God. Be what Jesus wants to be. In Christ's name, amen. May we stand, please. Everybody standing. Let's stand. The Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart tonight. Let him have his way with you. Whatever that means, the Lord Jesus knows what's on your heart. Now, I do not know and you do not know the heart of anybody else. But I want to ask Christians that know how to pray, pray for somebody here that needs Jesus, that will come to Christ. And pray for yourself. That you'll have the discernment to recognize what God wants you to do and then just do it for Jesus' sake. I believe God will bless you if you'll do it. There's someone here tonight that ought to come and say, I want to follow Jesus in baptism. I've been saved. There's someone here tonight who ought to come and say, I, I need to just get going with God and do what he wants me to do and be on fire for him. Do what the Lord tells you to do while we sing. What is it? 384. 384. 384. Will you turn there? I can hear the Savior calling. Let's sing.